Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. So glad that you're joining me today, and this is part two on how to finish strong. Now, the Apostle Paul gave us a great lesson by saying that he had finished a race, he had finished a course that God had laid out for him, he finished strong. So I got thinking about that. You know, the last lesson that I'm going to teach my children is how to die well or how to finish strong. I guess you could say that, that would be the best gift a father can give. I was thinking about that and I read the story of Michael Reagan, the 77-year-old adopted son of the late President Ronald Reagan. And he says, you know, I received so many wonderful gifts from my father, President Ronald Reagan. But at the 40th President's sunset funeral, Michael described the greatest gift a child can receive. He says, you know, I was so proud to have the Reagan name and to be Ronald Reagan's son. What a great honor. He gave me a lot of gifts as a child, gave me a horse, gave me a car, gave me a lot of things. But there's a gift he gave me that I think is wonderful for every father to give every son. Late Saturday, when he opened his eyes for the last time, that's when I realized the gift he gave to me, that he was going to be with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He had, back in 1988, on a flight from Washington, D.C. to Port Mugo, told me about his love of God, his love of Christ as his Savior. I didn't know then what it all meant, but I certainly, certainly know now. I can't think of a better gift for a father to give a son. And I hope to honor my father by giving my son, Cameron, and my daughter, Ashley, that very same gift he gave me. Knowing where he is, his very moment is so very important that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's in heaven. I can only promise my father this, Dad, when I go, I will go to heaven too. And you and I and my sister Maureen, who went before us, we will dance with the heavenly host of angels before the presence of God. There you'll be Alzheimer's free. Thank you for letting me share my father, Ronald Wilson Reagan. What a wonderful gift. The gift of salvation. You know, the most important gift you can give your family is the gift of the gospel. Letting them know that you are born again, that your life has been radically changed. You know, my dad influenced me profoundly. Now, even though he's been dead now for over 20 years, he had a profound influence on me because he walked in faith. Now, my dad was not a perfect man. My dad had many struggles in his life. You know, my dad battled depression. Uh, he, he was bipolar. And, uh, and so sometimes I never knew the exact dad I was going to have uh, because of the battles that he had. And I knew he loved the Lord. He was strong in his faith. But I also knew he had some major struggles in his life. I'm sure that he wishes that he didn't have to struggle with that. You know, his mom struggled with anxiety and depression and, and bipolar. And uh, we have several family members that share that same battle. It's difficult to walk down that pathway of mental health issues. But you know what? His faith sustained him. And in spite of those shortcomings, I knew he loved me, he loved his family, and he loved the Lord. On the back of the tombstone are words that describe my dad. As a family, we got together 
And we said, what are we going to put on a tombstone? And we came up with a little phrase. He lived by faith. And that's how he lived his life. He lived by faith. He passed that faith on to us as a family. As we look today about three gifts that we can give to finish strong, I want to spend just a moment in today's broadcast because we're right at the end of the year. I'm going to share with you three gifts that I think are the best gifts you can ever get. I'm going to read some text and then make a few comments. But as we look at God's word, we see these gifts uh, laid out for us. John chapter 1, beginning at verse number 1. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of the testimony. John himself was not that light. He was simply a witness to tell about that light. The one who is that true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and they even rejected him. But to all who believed on him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another, for the law was given through Moses. But God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. What a powerful passage that is. As I think about this, this reminds me of the first gift that God has given us. God gave us Jesus. John 3.16 reminds us, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, when we were utterly hopeless and helpless, that's when we received this gift of God, his one and only son, Jesus. He came at just the right time. And he died for sinners. And not most people are going to be willing to die for an upright son or upright person. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You know, the value of God's gift is really measured by the motive behind it. You see, God's gift is measured by this motivation that, that he loved us so much that he wanted to have this relationship 
with us. You know, all of us have perhaps received gifts from time to time, and you question why that person gave you that gift. It doesn't matter how awesome the gift is. If the motive of the giver is somewhat in question, the value is diminished. Now, maybe somebody was motivated by guilt or obligation. Maybe somebody was motivated by this desire for others just to see how generous they are or for others to see how great of a taste they have. You see, these motives kind of taint the gift, no matter how big or how expensive it is. On the other hand, if a gift is motivated by love, it doesn't really matter what it is. We still appreciate it. You know, years ago, I was given a little gift of a wooden cross. It was a cross that was carved by a little boy in children's church. That cross meant so much to me, I still have it to this day. Another year, I was given a birthday cross that said across it, happy birthday, and it was just a couple of popsicle sticks that were glued together. I still have that gift as well. One time, I was given by an inmate a little gift. It's a little wooden plaque that says nothing else on it except pastor. Just one word on a wooden plaque given to me by an inmate after he was released, and he was so happy to give it to me, I still have it on my desk. One inmate gave me uh, work that he had created on, a, on an old handkerchief, and he used calligraphy and wrote out John 3.16. I still have that gift. You see, these little gifts mean so much. I have also in my office what is used around the neck of a cow. It's kind of a cowbell, but it comes from a very poor country, a poor country in Africa. And it's really not a bell. It's really a coconut that has been etched out. And somebody put a little ball inside of it. It was given to me by a missionary that we supported for many years. It's not an expensive gift, but it's a gift that is motivated by love. You see, behind God's gift is love. John says, this is how God shows his love among us. And then later he says, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. So the one as we celebrate his birthday on Christmas is Christ. God gave his son. Now, there are many reasons God sent his son. His son was to reveal the nature of God. His son was to accomplish salvation. His son was to bring glory. But I think the sweetest reason God sent his son is that he loves us. You might even say he'd rather die than to live without us. Max Lucado says, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whatever you think, Whatever you want, you can talk to him and he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, but he chose your heart. And the Christmas gift he sent you in Bethlehem. Face it, friend, he's crazy about you. God knows us perfectly. All things are open and laid bare before him. Our darkest secret, our deepest shame, our stormy past, our worst thought, our hidden motive, our vilest imagination. Even our vain attempts to cover up and to appear like we're something that we're not. He sees it all. And yet he still loves us enough to send his son. You see, the value of God's gift 
is not only measured by the motivation, but it's also measured by the cost. God's gift that he gave is costly. You know, I know a gift doesn't have to be expensive to be meaningful and even valuable. Cost is measured in so many different ways. You can pay a lot of money for a gift, and that's one way to measure the cost. Or you can spend a lot of time finding or even making a gift, and that's another way to measure a cost. For some, time and energy are far more costly than money. So how do we measure the value of God's gift in terms of cost? It says here that he sent his one and only son into the world. Now, that's costly. We don't always think of it as costly, but it is. Theologians call this kenosis. It comes from the Greek word meaning to empty. The word is used of God's son, Jesus himself, in Philippians chapter 2, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. That is, he, he emptied himself by taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That kenosis part is the cost. God, stepping from his throne, removed his robe in light and wrapped himself in skin. The light of the universe enters a dark womb. The one the angels worshipped nestled himself in the placenta of a pheasant, was birthed on a cold night. Then he slept on cow's hay amidst the stench of urine and dung. You know, 1940, a Polish army captain emptied himself in a very costly way. He snuck into a camp, right into Auschwitz, and he knew something was terribly wrong with that concentration camp. And as a committed Christian, and as a Polish patriot, he couldn't stand by and watch. He wanted to get information on the horrors of this camp, and he knew he could only do it from the inside. So his superiors provided a false identity card with a Jewish name. And then he was allowed to go into that camp where the Germans arrested him. During a routine roundup, he was sent to that terrible camp, and he was assigned an inmate number, inmate number 4859. He became just like the other prisoners, despised, beaten, threatened with death. This husband and father of two later said, I bid farewell to everything I had known on this earth. Well, you might say Jesus bid farewell to everything that he knew in heaven. That was costly. But it didn't stop there. There was an even greater price to pay. John also says that God the Father sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There was a cost in this kenosis, but there was an even greater cost on the cross. In that same passage in Philippians, Paul goes on to say in verse number eight, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, for in order for us to be set free from sin, that payment had to be paid. That ransom had to be made. Throughout the Old Testament, it was the blood of a spotless lamb that was shed year after year to pay for the sins of God's people. But that was just a picture of God's once-for-all solution. 
his spotless son would shed his own blood. That's what the angel was talking about when he said to Joseph, he will save his people from their sins. He didn't go through his birth, but through his death. You know, during China's cultural revolution, Christians were often sentenced to hard labor in prison camps. Maintaining their faith was hard, and expressing it was even harder. In Christmas of 1961, many prisoners at that camp found themselves working on the walls around rice paddies in temperatures right at freezing. The wind was howling around the frozen ground. One prisoner approached his supervisor and asked for some time off from work since it was Christmas. The guard gave him permission, warned him to beware of the warden. The old man walked into a gully, out of sight, out of the wind. He built a small fire and began to celebrate Christmas. A few minutes later, the friendly guard saw the warden heading straight for them. He hurried over to warn the old prisoner, just in time to see him sipping from a chipped cup and eating a bit of bread. When the warden arrived, all he saw was a prisoner and a guard huddled by a small fire. But the prisoner had completed his Christmas celebration, not with a bouquet, not with sweets, but with a cold cup and a cold crust, with communion. His celebration of Christmas demanded communion. You see, at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but we also remember the purpose for which he came. He came on a mission. He came to die for us. His kenosis was costly. His cross was even costlier. The birth of God's Son is wonderful and mysterious, but it's for nothing apart from his death on the cross. Our awe over his birth isn't just that he came, but that he came to be crucified for you and for me. When we think about the value of God's gift, it's not only measured by its motive, not only measured by its cost, but it's also measured by its usefulness. That's the last thing I look at when I think about the cost of God's gift in sending us Jesus. Is it useful? I mean, what's the useful of the gift of Jesus to us? Well, we look at verse 9, and we see that usefulness, that we might live through Him. So God's gift has been given to us, and it has ultimate practical value in our lives. It gives us life. In a sense, it doesn't mean physical life. It means spiritual life, eternal life with God that starts right now. Later in the letter, John writes, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who doesn't have the Son does not have life. Jesus put it this way, I have come that they may have life, and they may have it abundantly. What a promise. Not just life, not just existence, but life, which means something. Life that has worth, life that has purpose, life that has value, life that has meaning, a life with eternal consequences and benefits. You see, part of that means we have a purpose. One of the most beloved songs of Christmas started out really as an advertising gimmick. In 1939, Montgomery Ward tapped advertiser executive Robert May to write a poem. Uh, Just write a poem about their store. And Santa Claus would give it away to the children who came to visit. What was that poem? 
Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer first appeared as a little booklet published by the department store chain. More than 2.5 million copies were handed out. By 1946, more than 6 million copies of the poem were distributed. Rudolph's story came to musical life in 1949 when May's brother-in-law, Johnny Marks, wrote the music. After it was turned down, Ben Crosby and Dinah Shore sang with Gene Autry recording it. And today, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is the highest-selling Christmas carol, selling more than 25 million units. What makes that little carol so loved? Some people might say it's the courage of Rudolph, the alleged hero of the story. But the real beauty of this story focuses on grace. By grace, Santa chooses Rudolph, despite the fact that he's a clear outsider, a reject. He's a defect. His big, shiny red nose was disqualify him ordinarily, but it was given to him to light the way on that Christmas. You know, in Ephesians, it tells us, that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So why did Santa choose Rudolph? Well, Rudolph had a weakness that really was a strength. God does the same thing for us. We have a major weakness that he turns into a strength. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You know, if you're going to finish strong, you're going to appreciate the gift of Jesus Christ, and you're going to follow that gift by giving that gift to others. Jesus gave himself. No one takes my life, he says. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have come, and I have authority to lay down my life when I want to, and I can also take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. God gave Jesus. Jesus gave himself. And lastly, would you give yourself to God? We're hours away from a new year. Will you give yourself to Christ so that you can finish your life strong, being a blessing to others? I want to close the broadcast by sharing with you a prayer that was written. And uh, this particular prayer was written by a man uh, whose wife was going through a hard time. She battled Alzheimer's, and, and, uh, and she looked at her life, and, and her life finally ended. And so this guy was a professor. It was actually the president of Columbia Bible International University. And the prayer written by Robert McQuilkin goes like this. It's sundown, Lord. It's sundown in my life. The shadows of my life stretch back into the dimness of the years long spent. I fear not death, for that grim foe betrays itself at last, thrusting me forever into life, life with you, unsoiled and free. But I do fear. I fear the dark specter may come too soon. Or do I mean too late? That I should end before I finish, or finish but not finish well? that I should strain your honor, that I should shame your name, grieve your loving heart. Few, they tell me, finish well. Lord, let me get home before dark, the darkness of a spirit grown mean and small, fruit shriveled on the vine, 
bitter to the taste of my companions, burdened to be borne by those brave few who still love me. No, Lord, let the fruit grow lush and sweet, a joy to all who taste. Spirit sign of God at work, stronger, fuller, brighter at the end. Lord, let me get home before dark. The darkness of tattered gifts, rust locked, half spent or ill spent, a life that once was used of God, now set aside. Grief, for glory's gone or fretting. God never gave. Mourning in the hollow chambers of memory, gazing in the faded banners of victories long gone. Can I not run well until the end, Lord? Let me get home before dark. But I'll reach that gate in a lingering pain, body distorted, grotesque, or will I be mild-mannered, untethered among the light of fantasies or grim terrors? Oh, for your grace, Father, I humbly ask, let me get home before dark. May that be your prayer today. May we get home before dark. May we finish the task that God has called us to complete. May we finish strong in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.